Before we get into stuff, if you are listening on iTunes or Stitcher, if you can rate and review us, it helps us out a lot. It takes a couple of seconds. To get the episodes early, bonus material, control our Googles, check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com right slash two non-doctors. You can email us with all of your questions, concerns, telling us how wrong we are at two non-doctors at gmail.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We are stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians that are currently jobless because of the coronavirus. We're finally going to be the doctors our mothers wanted us to be. Is there anything that we don't know? A lot, actually. We have a lot of questions. Uh, We have a lot of answers. All of them wrong. But we do have access to... Google. And a vet. Oh yeah, my mom's a vet. She knows some stuff. We have to do this So again. every once in a while, we're going to invite her on. No, we don't. We're going to actually use this. <laughs> Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. Hi. Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. I don't I don't know how I feel. I, I guess I want to share this, but I don't know if I should. Well, I'll share it, and then we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, I heard knocking on my window the other night, and I've been freaked out ever since. Okay. How was the knocking was it like hey bang 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 i need help or was it like um tap 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 tap. i'm gonna kill you okay so without the words it felt more like tap 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 i'm gonna kill you so (laughs) that's a great breakdown there were no words in either scenario um (laughs) but basically it was like 11 o'clock at night and i hear tap 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 so it wasn't like a tree branch hitting my window it was a tap 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 so i run into my roommate chris's room and i was like somebody's tapping on my window i'm freaked out can you come look with me so he comes in we look there's nothing there so then i sit back down i'm like embarrassed but i'm also still freaked out and then as soon as he goes in his room and as soon as i sit down i hear tap 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 and so i run i was like grass so run in immediately look nothing there So I was like, I'm freaked out. I was like, can you stay in my room? So I make Chris stay in my room and he's just playing on his phone like he was doing in his room, but now he's in my room. So he's on his phone. I'm on my phone. We didn't get any weapons. Like I felt like if this was a horror movie, like, you know, when you watch a horror movie, you're like, hey, why wouldn't you go get a bat or something? We did none of that. I just needed him to be in my room so he could get murdered with me. I get that instinct. Yeah. I was just like, I don't want to die alone. So, but we didn't do anything. We didn't prepare. He just, he sat on my bed and played on his phone. I sat in my chair and played on my phone and I made him do that for like a half hour. Then I felt a little bit better. So then I said, you can go in your room, but you can't close your door. <laughs> like truly ordering him around. So he goes in his room, his door's open, my door's open. Again, I'm getting work done, but I'm freaked out. After an hour, I was like, okay, I'm closing your door, but be on high alert. And then I told my boyfriend, I was like, you can't have your phone off the ringer. I, you can sleep, but you need to be like, if your phone rings and you don't pick up, you're dead to me, even if I'm already dead. <laughs> That's just how that works. And then uh, I have a bunch of nightlights. So I didn't sleep with all the lights on, but I slept with three nightlights on, which is pretty much almost like having all the lights on. Right. <laughs> so it's 3am and I usually sleep with a mask on, but I was like, I want to, I don't want to die not seeing anything. And what would be the point of having lights on completely if I had a mask on? I know it's to be like, Hey, I'm awake intruder. But I I didn't sleep with a mask on, which is very difficult for me. And I had all these nightlights on and I slept for very unrestly for about three hours. And um, I still I I sleep with the lights off, but it's I think about it every like I like re-trigger myself by remembering that. And that was three days ago. So that's where my head is right now. Okay. Uh, the good news is 
uh, you're alive. Nothing bad has happened as yeah. of the time of this recording. The bad news is that's fucking terrifying. So it's not like someone climbed anything. To- they have to climb a little bit. Like you have to be, I'll say this. If you're a short person, you have to have muscles because it takes some work. And if you're a tall person, you just have to have the gumption to try. <laughs> like you just have to want to be inside my apartment. And I'm um, like, clearly I have locks on my windows. I, um, I keep, um, what do you call it? Like stuff to keep my window closed. Like it's, there's not like a name for it or anything. It's just like a wood. sealant. No, like wood, like just to prop it. So it's harder oh, to open. Yeah. But that oh, doesn't yeah. mean they can't break my window. And like, I know that would slow them down breaking my window, but. It will wake you up. I always think about that because I live in a ground floor apartment too. Everyone. Uh, yeah, yeah, both yeah, of us yeah. are in ground floor apartments. But um, I think about that a lot. Like do you ever map your escape plan? Oh, yeah. All the time. Because I, when I lived in New York and I lived like 40 stories up and I was like, OK, well, if they break in, I'll hide behind my own door. So when they come in, I'll take the floor lamp, bust them in the head with the bottom of the floor lamp. And while they're knocked out, run. OK, they don't have any weapons. They're just a person. Well, they would have to come into my room and there's only one door into my room. So I'd, t- I'd hide behind that door. So if I heard them breaking in, OK, I'd have the time to hide behind the door. The floor lamp was by the door. So as they came in, I'd be like, bow. And then, um, and then they would be on the floor and then I'd run. Yeah. I just worry that they're going to have like those heads from those, um, those like Bruce Willis movies where you hit them in the head and you're like, why aren't they going down? Like, yeah. that's, that's well, my biggest fear. Like if they're just like a normal person, like that would do it. But I'm worried that it's going to be like these macho dudes that, that clearly don't have any hair because of the hair prevents, uh, I guess, skull shape. And, and then they, they don't, you hit them and they go, Oh, you, you, now you pissed them off. So just, yeah. So it's just a couple, like a little birds floating around their head. Yeah, exactly. And, just like, and then they're fine. And now it's a chase scene. Like it's a home alone movie or <laughs> yes, some shit. Yes. That's a terrifying thing that happened to you. But do you think that it can't just, it might just be a neighbor's kid. And you have a lot of kids in your neighborhood who are just fucking around and knocking on your window. When I was talking to my roommate, I was like, what if that person was in trouble and I ignored them? And he goes, yeah, but I was like, you just buzzer, just hit all the buzzers. Like, why are we yeah, going for windows? Yeah, that's not an I'm in trouble tap. And, you know, for me, I'd be like, oh, my food delivery is here. And then I go outside and I'm like, no, I'm murdered. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> you got me because of my love of food. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, seriously, if you were in trouble and your only way of getting help was to slightly tap on someone's window a couple of times, you're an idiot. I just don't like, I just like my instinct was I don't want to open the window and they see it's a woman, even if like they clearly could probably hear me. I can hear my neighbors smoking outside all the time. So it's yeah. like, like, but I wanted the face to be a man's face so they could be like, men live here. Be alert. I mean, I know this like the UK slogan for coronavirus, but like you just make sure you stay alert when you're walking at night because oh, I know I you're not stupid. I hate, can I tell you how to live in New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but well, the truth of the matter is I'm not really even going out at night. Like I, as somebody that almost exclusively came home at two in the morning, I don't think I've been outside later than probably 7 p.m. In months. Anyway, just be alert. I live in a weird neighborhood, but I like my neighborhood. Like I have nothing negative to really say about it. I've lived here. I do. I have a few things. Yeah, but I've lived here for 10 years without incident. And, and it's also still New York city. And I, is it a dream neighborhood? Absolutely not. But is it my neighborhood and is it comfortable? Yeah. Aww. What's, uh, what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. When I went back to my flat after so many weeks away, my other flatmate and her boyfriend had been living there for weeks together as a couple with their own home. <laughs> so when I went back to my flat, it felt like I went back to go stay on their couch. Yeah. I had, I had a room 
it was my fly, you know, but I could just, I just felt like I'd intruded, intruded on their life. I had to remind myself, you pay rent here. You yeah. are allowed to be here. <laughs> like, I find that so funny. Like, you're just like, you belong. You, Maria, belong. <laughs> like, like you yeah. have a little post-it notes around your room. <laughs> just listening to it on a Spotify thing. Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You belong you more belong. than anyone. When you grab that milk, that is your milk. It just, you could tell they had gotten comfortable. They're, you know, they're good people. It wasn't like they were shitty to me. They're very nice to me. And, and you know, no, but it, trying is, to be- it is a, a waft. Like you walk into a room and you just like, oh, this is, you've made this your space. And this mm-hmm. is, it, I mean, you feel it with animals where they're like, oh, sweetheart, this is my room now. And you're like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was at work all day, but you live here now. I didn't realize how quickly that dynamic changes. I'm like, I'm going to take a shower in my shower with my stuff in it. There's my stuff. My stuff. I'm here. I live here. I didn't break in. I didn't break in. (laughs) This is a non-Liz story. I live here. I didn't come through the window. I have keys. Yeah, I did come through the window. I probably shouldn't have. Yeah, but that was just to feel alive. That was. Yeah, I've been on Huel. I don't know what uh, Huel is. Is that very okay. English? Well, it's. I think it's the UK's answer to Soylent. What's Soylent? It's a meal replacement powder. So basically, it's your nutrition for an entire meal. You could live off of it. Mostly, they recommend you, you use two meals a day of Huel shakes and then a sensible dinner. So yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing Johnny asked was, "Isn't that just SlimFast?" And I was like, "Oh." No, but I didn't know why. (laughs) The best is when you answer and then you think about it. You're like, no, but I don't know why. No. And I'm yes. And and no matter what my research says, the answer is still no. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. I was like, well, I don't want him to just get that one. But I actually don't have uh, a better explanation for it. I've been, I've been, I mean, they, they are filling. Like if you have stuff to do or you want to be a social person at all, they're not, it's not great for that. Um, which is not a problem when you don't see anybody. Right. Exactly. Under lockdown. Perfect. Out and about in society. Not great. And with a friend and they're just like, do you want a coffee? You're like, no, I have Huel. And then it just becomes a commercial every time you break it out. I like lift it to show it to camera, even though there's no camera. (laughs) So my Google ended up being, what's the difference between SlimFast and Huel? What I found out was that there's like more, there's more nutrition in Huel. Like it's actually supposed to replace I mean, like SlimFast was just chocolate milk with vitamins, like a multivitamin in it. And you whole actually like goes in and gets micronutrients and like it's a complete thing and it's got like probiotics and green tea and shit. And like, I think it's slim more nutritious. Yeah, I would always say anything that wasn't invented in the 80s is always going to be more nutritious. <laughs> and my mom used to drink SlimFast. Like, I think the the whole goal for these kind of shakes early on was that they were people like drinking them. So that was, you know, they always pumped it through full of sugar. So it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of carbs. It was somewhat filling. However, they made it filling for you and you got a little bit of nutrition. So people didn't go like, did did I just drink a candy bar that just doesn't help me get fat? Yeah. Um, But I think, I think they don't have a lot of nutrition in them. Plus I don't think they're good for you. Like, I don't think it's helpful. But from what I understand about Soylent, the kind of the American version of what you're talking about is that it's like, if you were an ideal person that would have the amount of vegetables you're supposed to have, the amount of protein you're supposed to have, it would be like what a balanced plate is nutritionally in a cup and you drink it. And so you'd be better than if you were somebody that ate like a grilled cheese sandwich for lunch because how much nutrition does that have? But you, um, but it would also be like the equivalent, nutritionally equivalent to like a well-balanced meal. I never tried it, but I was like, well, my meals aren't balanced now. So if I had one of those, 
even if it wasn't great for me, it would be better than my grilled cheese. You know, like if you're having uh, grilled chicken with lettuce for lunch, then by all means stick with that. But like, it's just sort of better for you than if you were to have junk food or processed food for lunch or a grilled cheese, even though it sounds amazing right now. I know I said it but, three times and now I really want one. I know. It's like, what are you doing? I love that but it's been a fine. sensible meal. And then a sensible meal. No, I said that because that's, oh. that was a Slim Fast slogan. It's like oh. a shake for breakfast, a shake for lunch, and then a sensible dinner. I'll be honest. Like, I think I'm the right target person for it because I don't I, care. Like, you're a foodie, but I'm not. Like, I don't care. Like, I can eat peanut butter and jelly every day for the rest of my life and be happy. Bad food isn't a de- de- deterrent to me. So for me, half the time I forget to eat or I just I'm just trying to get the pain of being hungry to go away. So I do think in some ways... If it was slightly enjoyable, I, again, I've never tried it. It would be the right thing for me. But I, at the same time, I feel no motivation to try it. So basically, nice. Slim Fast is for people trying to lose weight. Huel is for people that are trying to be millionaires. Yeah. I think that's Huel it. is the person, you're in a zone. Yeah. Stay in the zone. Stay in the, <laughs> you know? Huel, stay in the zone. Um, my Google, uh, I guess we're just very doing nothing people. Mine was a why am I dreaming more slash remembering my dreams better. I just, I've been having the most vivid dreams and they started during lockdown. But I think what's happening is I still don't have a job because we're non-essential. I'm sleeping more than I've ever slept. Like sometimes I have bad days, like, you know, clearly not somebody tapping on my window days, not my best sleep days, but on average, I'm sleeping seven to nine hours. Like I'm getting a, like a teenager's amount of sleep. And that's not normal for me because I'm always traveling. Like honestly, four days a week, I'm usually getting like three to six hours. Like I'm always a little deprived. So I think in general, I'm getting more sleep and that's what I thought it was. But I looked it up apparently because of quarantine specifically, everybody around the world is sleeping more. I mean, is um, having more vivid dreams, but also remembering their dreams. And there's a bunch of different theories, the stress from the coronavirus, uh, the stress of people not having jobs. They also say like REM sleep in like the whole point of REM sleep is that it, it helps heal you. And it helps kind of relieve your stress. But if you have an abnormal, like a absorbent, is that a word? Absorbent amount? If you have an absorbent amount of stress, REM, REM isn't magic. So let's say your, you know, your normal stress level is at 50%, but because of, you know, losing your job or the coronavirus or lockdown or whatever it is, hits you and you're now at like 80%, REM can only do so much. So I think some of it is like residual stress that's breaking through your REM sleep and you're remembering it. They also had a theory that people are just sleeping more, but there's tons of people that are like, this is what I always slept. And then the last thing I thought was really interesting is especially during lockdown, people were doing less, you know, they have a less fulfilling life, they don't leave the house Mm -hmm. much, they're not seeing their friends, they're not going on vacation, they're not going to work, like they're having such few interactions that their dreams are more vivid and weird, because their brain is kind of like, we got to, we got to shake things up, (laughs) like, got to make things crazy. Yeah, I read that about that actually people are less stressed. And that's why they're able to have more vivid dreams, because they're sleeping to the point of waking up on their own. Yeah, like like a non alarm. Yeah. But um, so so what are your dreams like? Are they lighthearted? Are they anxiety dreams? Are they nightmares? Um, they're not full blown nightmares, although I've had a lot of chase dreams, like a lot of dreams where I'm being chased. Yeah, it's a lot of me like running from stuff, freaked out about stuff, uh, meeting people I don't want to meet, <laughs> being on boats. I don't think I like boats. So I think anything with a boat is a nightmare. Yeah, they're just weird. And like, of course, like I don't remember them days later, but like, 
I think, I think it's the thing that'll break me and my boyfriend up because he's like this, these aren't good conversations. And I was like, I know that, but you're supposed That's to be there for me. Hilarious. It's also the opposite of Johnny. Cause he's always like, I'm like, I had this weird dream. He's like, go on. He loves hearing about <laughs> dreams. He's the only person I know who loves hearing about dreams. I love hearing about them. And like, I would say the only person that really supports hearing about my dreams is Carmen. We've talked about Carmen Lynch before. So me and Carmen used to be roommates. But the thing about Carmen is she has a therapist that analyzes her dreams. So she has somebody in her life that has validated her dreams and that they have context and, and, and real life um, knowledge in them. So when we were living together, I'd be like, dude, I had this dream. It freaks me out. She goes, what is it about? And so I would tell her and she goes, let's look that up. And so we'd look it up and there's enough on the internet to be like, if you're dreaming about this, it means you're scared about money. Or if you're dreaming about this. So she got me in the habit that dreams aren't something to be like, that was weird or that freaked me out. It was to be like, this is secret knowledge you have to unlock. And even if it's, you know, gaga, even if it's like stupid, like, like horoscopes, I still like it. It's still like a fun adventure. So when I have a really weird dream that freaks me out, I kind of have this positive spin of I'm going to look it up and see what it means. So like I've had dreams where like I shit in a tub and I'm like, that is the grossest thing. I'm ashamed of my, my mind for even having a shit in the tub dream, but I'm going to look it up. And then of course, I don't know what it was, but like I looked it up when it happened. This is like years ago. I looked it up what it meant. And it was just like, you're going to come into money. It was something that there was like some kind of positivity and or something eye opening. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have more shit in the tub dreams. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't I don't like those websites that interpret your dreams by like, if you have a snake in your dream, you're going to come into money. Like it's like trying to get therapy by going to a psychic or your horoscope. Oh, no, um, it's all it's all garbage. But I love right. but but like to me, this is this is cake. This is like philosophical cake. Like, oh, it's fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. There's no nutritional value. It's uh, it's temporarily stress relieving, even if there's consequences to it, like heart attacks and heart disease. <laughs> like, like I just, I don't need it to be real as much as it's a positive distraction to something that was distressing. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like all your dreams are about a loss of control, shitting oh. in a tub, loss of control, being on a boat, loss of control, being chased, loss of control. Oh yeah. I have real issues with control. It doesn't, take, I know. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that I do not enjoy the fact that I don't know when I'm going to work again. <laughs> I have a recurring dream. I've murdered somebody. Oh, Jesus. I have to deal with the aftermath of it, of like getting rid of the body or not being caught or I'm worried about being caught. Um, it <laughs> it's makes never me, the actual gruesome murder. It makes me think, um, what is that syndrome? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. Like it makes me yeah, think, I mean, I think that I think you're always going to be found out. I'm using quotes. Yeah. Well, I think it's something very similar to that. Like with comedy, you know, it's just like, well, I feel like I'm hiding comedy from people close to me. So I'm like, oh, that's my thing. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I've, I've done this shameful thing and now I have to figure out how to stop people from finding out. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm sure it's that simple in a lot of ways. Like, I'm like, I don't like not knowing what the future is. And you're like, I don't like that people are going to be ashamed of what I do for a living. Yeah. Well, there's that. We, Maybe it. we did that. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us your dreams. Tell us about your dreams. I want to let's oh, like yeah. let's interpret some other people's dreams. Yeah, let's wrongly interpret dreams. <laughs> I think that would be the best. We'll be like, well, because your marriage is falling apart. They're like, I'm not married. I was like, because your kids ran away. You're like, I don't have kids. And I'm like, we're just fucking have some kids, so we're right. <laughs> Two bad psychics. <laughs> We would be the best bad psychics. Uh -huh. I know. We have the look. 
Oh, we do. Dude, we both look ethnically ambiguous, very mystical. I love a lot of jewelry. I love rings and necklaces. Oh my God. I love bangles. Oh my God. I like skirts that have layers of other shit on it, you know, like the wrap. And oh then my God. jingles. I love jingle bangle bracelets. The next time we see each other, we need to dress up as psychics and take pictures. That is happening. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, let's get personal. I'm going to ask this because it's my weird question. Do you find baths relaxing? Like taking a bath? I took a bath the other day and it was, it's always relaxing for like two minutes of the entire hour long process. <laughs> yes. Because because like as you're filling the water, you're going, am I wasting all this water? Am I being a selfish person right now? And then, you know, you put the bubbles in then you get in and then it's really nice. And then you go like after five minutes, you're like, I'm too hot. Should I open the window? Should I listen to something? What if I don't like the song that comes on? Then my hands are wet and I can't change it. What if someone calls? Maybe I should get out. Should I get out? <laughs> I So I feel like it's like more like life doesn't allow you to be relaxing and or you're not rich enough for it to be relaxing. Like if you were able to be like, Alexa, change the song. You know what I mean? Or like, Alexa, buy me somebody to hand me a sandwich. Oh, I should get an Alexa. Don't. <laughs> but yes. You're get, brilliant. Get a, get a servant name Alexa. <laughs> okay, so it's so it's relaxing for about five minutes for you. And the idea of it is somewhat relaxing. I mean, they're really, really relaxing for those five minutes. But but yeah, there's a lot of anxiety and like questions around it. And and like, then I'm too hot. But if you open the window, sometimes that can be really nice. But yes, I, I will take them. You want a hot tub outside in, yes. in like Colorado. All I've ever wanted. Yeah. Where you like run out, you're freezing, then you get in and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done for myself. Uh-huh. That sounds perfect. Okay. I'll work on that for us. I don't find them relaxing at all. Okay. Why? I don't know. I don't know if it's like, I can't, I, I definitely have a problem with rest and not doing things. I read somewhere online that people that rewatch old shows and old movies often do it because their anxiety makes it difficult for them to watch things that they don't know how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very anxious person that like, I've been watching some newer shows with my boyfriend. And like, I find myself being like, can we pause it? Like, it's just making me uncomfortable. Or like, I'll be there's like a show that he's watching. I don't even know what it's called. And he's like, do you like it? And I was like, it makes me uncomfortable. What show, what's it about? You have to tell me. I think it's called Vice Presidents. It's okay. Uh, we watch everything on Hulu. So I don't actually know the channels things are on. It's with the guy. Fuck. What is he from? He had the baseball show. He like, blow, he like blows stuff up in, um, and, um, Ben Stiller's movie. Tropic Stop. Thunder. So, okay. Like what, what is the, it's like, two, it's it, two vice presidents and one, um, uh, not vice presidents, vice principals. Sorry. It's two vice principals and the principal was retiring and they thought one of them was going to become principal. And then it turns out somebody they don't even know becomes principal and they hated each other and they teamed together to get rid of this principal so that one of them can be principal. Okay. And they're both just bad people and there's nothing redeeming about them. And they just do, they're like kind of both stupid while also being bad people. To me, it's just cringeworthy. And even if there's funny stuff in it, I just don't like them as people. And I don't like embarrassment comedy or like stupid yeah. people doing stupid stuff. Like it just, it makes me... I remember like, being a child and getting infuriated at Three's Company. Just like, why doesn't he just tell him that this is what they're saying? You know, yeah, Three's yeah. Company is totally based on misunderstandings. Yes. And just over and over again, you're like, there's no show if people are not stupid. Like I get upset when we have a misunderstanding. 
Like if I think you interpreted a text wrong, I'm like, oh, she's going to be mad at me. And like, I can't sleep. Like, so it's like the same idea that like now I'm watching other people go through it. And I'm like, that is my least favorite feeling. And this show is making me feel it every five minutes for a half hour. Yeah, that's no fun. I'm really with you on some of those anxiety ones. I know some people who can't watch Curb for that reason, because Curb is so like... I think that's one of the reasons I don't like Curb. Ah, yeah, because he takes every small thing and a social interaction and blows it up and it just makes your asshole tight. It just makes me feel like this is my nightmare. Like, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this person that can't relax watching TV. (laughs) And then you put me in a bath. I'm just left alone with my thoughts. And I just feel like I should be doing something. So like what I've been trying to do is if I take a bath, I have to meditate. So even though the act of meditation is to not be doing anything, there is an assignment for the bath time. Does wow. That, yeah, I know. I know. Jesus I Christ. And so then I'll set a timer that I have to meditate for five minutes in the bath time. And then after the meditation's over, I'm like, well, what are we fucking doing here? Like, I don't know. I just, I can't relax. And I think, I, I, is there anything that you find relaxing? Stand up. Right. Writing. <laughs> Literally like my nightmare. Um, um, I find reading relaxing, but sometimes I, I have trouble. Like sometimes because I'm such an anxious person, I'll be too anxious to focus. I can't be peak anxiousness or I can't do anything. And I can't be, I, I have to be in some kind of middle ground. So like, Social interactions can make me like a middle ground anxiety. And if it's like a place that I can go read, like the subway, like the subway is like all these people, but then I read a book and I feel comfortable. And that's what I've been doing for 15 years on the subway is reading books. And it's like my favorite place to read. And people are like, I hate the subway. And I'm like, what? That's my best reading time. Like I've learned to like the subway because I found something relaxing and enjoyable on it. Yeah. Running, reading, again, all active things like Watching TV is supposed to be inactive and I find it triggering. I don't know. I do. I get clearly doing stuff makes me feel better. Yeah. I mean, me too. I get it. Cause like sometimes you'll just be lying around and, and going like, I should be doing something, but, um, let's but put it this because- way. I was gonna say, if we could put some kind of table in the bath or this, this hot tub and we could play a game like, or if I was in, like, let's say I'm in a hot bath with my boyfriend and we're having like a fun conversation, like that would be relaxing to me. Okay. If you're in a hot bath with your boyfriend, he's probably not wanting to have a like fun conversation or play a board game. I know it's been a real challenge in our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely like, but you can sit and watch TV. He's like, this is sexy. And I'm like, let's play Uno. (laughs) Really finding out a lot about myself. Um, (laughs) I think that's one of our most personal questions. Okay. Let's get into it. Hey, let's hear from our sponsors. I don't know about you, but like I was struggling during the pandemic to find toilet paper for the first month to the point where like I called my dad to be like, could you send me toilet paper? Which is like a weird, usually it's money. It was one of those things where like most people are like, hey, I might need money. And I'm like, dad, I might need toilet paper. But that's what makes me so excited. We have real toilet paper sponsoring us this week. I don't think that's the way to go into that, but that's fine. Real makes incredibly soft three-ply toilet paper delivered straight to your door. Because isn't it like two-ply like the good stuff? Three-ply is like a pillow for your (laughs) bum. But it's made from sustainable bamboo. For every roll that you buy, Real helps people in need access clean toilets, which is just awesome. And um, you can get it at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com. I shouldn't be allowed to spell. And if you use the promo code 2NONDOCTORS, that's the number 2 N-O-N-D-R-S. You get 10% off a single purchase or your first subscription order plus free shipping in the U.S. 
And now back to the show. Um, what's our topic today? We're going to talk about addiction. Do you want to talk about like specific addiction? You know, just a buffet of all the addictions. What do you think is people's, like, what do you think is the most addictive thing that most people do? I want to say drinking. No, no, most people do. It's got to be social media. Really? I would say food. I mean, I mean you're talking most people and like most people have an unhealthy attachment to their phones. Okay, that's true. Because food, I thought I had like a kind of an addiction to food, but I think I do. Like, because with Huel, it's like you get it out of the way. But then I noticed whenever a stressful situation came up for me, my instinct was to go to the kitchen to make something. And I was like, well, I can't make anything because I'm not eating anything right now. So my, like, I would uh, actually wouldn't even say food. I guess sugar. Like, I think I definitely, uh, I'm addicted to sugar. I think most of my family's addicted to sugar. And I, I think I relate to a lot of people that when things are bad, they go for ice cream. Like even, yeah. even my boyfriend, like he would see I'm sad and he's like, you want to get ice cream? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like he knows that's a way to like very quickly fix the situation. Clearly very temporary, but I think, well, why don't we just say for Americans and that'll kind of help. But I think Americans have an addiction to sugar. Why? We grew up on sugary cereal and Twinkies and why would we? But um, <laughs> yeah. I think you there's sugar be, in our meat. I think that might be number two. Like if this were family feud, I, I really do think the internet like or phones, social media would be number one and sugar would be number two. Okay. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that. I'm not against our made up. I don't have a sweet tooth, but like, you know, like my mom has an addiction to sugar. Like I tried to get her to stop eating cake for breakfast and <sighs> she looked at me like, why would you take the only thing that I look forward to all day? <laughs> like, like, like not look forward to all day, but like, why? it's like the, I, I love this part of my day. Oh, I had a friend. Um, she had a donut every morning and like a slim friend. She goes, I have a donut every morning and then I eat healthy for the rest of the day, but I need something to get out of the bed and I know it's cake and I don't care. And I was like, <laughs> that's okay. brilliant. Yeah. A part of me was like, I can't even argue with that. Like if you're doing pretty good for the rest of the day and that's the, th cause I don't drink coffee. And I was like, oh yeah, donut would really start my day. And it, like, I know it's, there's a sugar crash and blah, blah, blah. Clearly I know it's not a good idea, but in general, like just philosophically that would do the trick every day. I get a donut. I'll say this. I love sugary cereal so fucking much and I don't do it anymore. But occasionally, especially when I go through a depressive episode, I'll buy a box and it is a game changer for like until that box is open. I'm like, oh, I get to have frosted flakes. Like it gets me <laughs> out of the bed. <laughs> I love it. So like, I don't know if it's attached to my childhood or if it's just pure sugar happiness, but there are breakfasty things that make that thing that you get to have in the morning. And it's only socially acceptable to have in the morning, even though clearly you shouldn't be having sugary cereal. It's a like it's a game changer for me. So then you understand where my mom's coming from. Oh, 100 uh, percent. First of all, you're evil to try to take that away from her and a bad daughter. Um, <laughs> in their 70s, I'm trying to save their lives. Just put but some yeah. spinach in the, the cake, mom. Make it make it maybe it zucchini bread or something. I was really curious about the difference between addiction and habit because you know, I, I haven't drank in six months. And when I go home, I don't need to drink. Like, I feel like I, I get in the habit of drinking. I get in the habit of like having a glass of wine after a show or like with dinner or a bottle of wine. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that'll happen nightly because I do comedy nightly. And I, it, it was really difficult to break that habit, but I do think it was a habit because if I go back home over the holidays, I'm not in the same daily habit or situation. And so I don't need a drink. And so I usually use that time to kind of detox and stop drinking. The definition of a habit. So I read a whole book on it. So I pretty much. Oh, I thought you were just Googling it while I was talking. Okay. No, no, no. But like, in my, and I am like doing this from memory, but a definition of a habit is you don't think about it. 
that's a habit. Mm-hmm. So, so brushing your teeth is a habit. Making a cup of coffee as soon as you wake up is a habit. And, and, and positive things can be a habit and negative things can be a habit. If every morning at 10 o'clock you go for a five mile run and you don't even have to think about it, there's no scheduling it, you don't write it on your to-do list, that's a habit. It's anything that is, I hate when you use the word for definition, but it's habitual. Like you do it, you don't think about it. It's a part of your process. It's who you are now. Uh, addiction is a habit is in there clearly because you don't have to think about it. Next thing you know, you have three glasses of wine, whatever, but addiction is when you become aware of it and you can't stop. It's, there's a lot of people that they drink the three glasses of wine. Somebody goes, Hey, I think this might be a problem. And you go, I don't think it's a problem. And you try to stop and you can't stop. But if, if I find myself like I've, cause I've been in that situation many times where it's like, I try to quit drinking, but it's such a part of my routine. It's hard. I mean, anybody who's tried so, to quit drinking, who likes drinking knows it's hard. But um, when I go home, because I'm out of any triggers that would build up to like me having that glass of wine, I don't have them anymore. I don't even notice. It's not like, oh my God, I really need a glass of wine right now. That, those triggers didn't come up. So that's the thing. I think the trigger is the right word, which is habits that are based in, um, let's say necessity or 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 they're, they're infused into your lifestyle. Don't truly have triggers or the trigger is just that 10 a.m. I always go for a run before I leave the house. I always brush my teeth as opposed to this person always makes me nervous. So I'm going to have a glass of wine. So I feel less nervous. So I do think in some ways, are are you just making up those as examples of triggers? Yeah. Okay. Let's say every time you go home, like let's say for me, I don't drink, but let's say every time I go home, I need to have a glass of wine, but then I start to pull back the layers and I really start to realize, well, every time I go home, my dad asks me, what am I doing with my life? So it isn't really that going Mm. home is the trigger. It's the fact that my dad's going to ask me a question that makes me feel bad about myself or makes me feel like he doesn't love me or makes me feel less uh, worthy of being an adult. I don't know, but it's, it's not really, I go I go to this address and it makes me need a glass of wine. It's that this person is asking these questions that's making me feel this way. So I think in some ways, the habit of smoking, the habit of drinking, the habit of overeating, the habit of eating sugar, the, you know, the habit of doing drugs starts out with an unconscious, this thing makes me feel better in these situations without really knowing that's what you're doing. And then now every time a situation could possibly be like that, I now need to do it. Social situations make me uncomfortable. So I'm going to pregame and drink before I go to the bar with my friends. Being at work makes me anxious. So I'm going to make sure I take X, Y, and Z before I go there. Um, Being around my family makes me feel bad about myself. So I'm going to make sure I do, I'm going to smoke a cigarette before or after, whatever it is. But I think, I think the habit starts unconsciously, but it's, it's because you're trying to cover up something that is difficult to deal with and or process. And then eventually you never need to process it because you always have this thing that numbs you out and or it starts to break through. So let's say every time I go home, I feel bad about myself and you have a glass of wine and it fixes it. And then you go home, you know, say every Christmas and now it's five years later and one glass of wine doesn't do it anymore. Now you need a whole bottle. Or right. not, so I do think in the beginning, it actually is a really helpful cover up to feelings for people or not dealing with stuff. And there's some situations you can't deal with it. If you can't talk to your dad about these things and you've tried and there's nothing working, but you still have to go home for Christmas, then you're like, whatever, it's just a glass of wine. But then when you start to use that for every time you're in a situation where you can't speak up for yourself or you can't be your true self, then next thing you know, 
every time you leave the house, it involves drinking. Okay. So they, I mean, it just starts, it starts with like smaller things and then it builds up and then suddenly you're dealing with all of your problems with, with however you choose, be it the sugar, the alcohol, the shopping, the food. Exactly. So I think it starts out as an unconscious cover up or an unconscious solution to an uncomfortable feeling or or thoughts you don't want to deal with. The biggest problem is that it works like it works the first time or, you know, nobody would continue a habit if it didn't work. Like if I felt anxious and I went for a run and it just made me more anxious, I wouldn't have become a long distance runner like that would have been counterintuitive to it helping me. But because I feel anxious, I go for a run and I get all these endorphins and I feel accomplishment. I feel more relaxed. I feel less anxious. It's become a positive habit to cover up when I have an anxious trigger. But the same could be said with, I feel anxious. I go for a half a bottle of wine. It does the trick. But then next thing you know, or over time, either people are questioning how much that wine is. And now I have to think about it. And, or I start to slip down where it's not just a half a bottle of wine. Now it's a full bottle of wine. It's whatever. And these are, I think, very simplistic ways of putting it. But I do think that's a easy baseline to show that something can go from a habit and a, and a, you know, when I go out with my friends, I get drinks. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I have a cigarette when I go, when I'm at a party. I don't think that's really a big deal. But then when it's every time I'm at a party and you're going to party every every night, you're smoking three cigarettes or every night I'm having this amount of beers and I don't need to be around people or not. It's now my life is 10 beers before I go to bed, whatever. I, I think that's the biggest thing is that it's it might start unconscious and then it just kind of escalates unconscious. And now you're just a person not dealing with their feelings or emotions or, or fears. Right. Okay. You know, I've dated a couple of alcoholics. One was in recovery and relapsed when we were dating. Um, I had ones where like, I'm like, this person seems fun. Oh, too fun. That's too much fun. Um, (laughs) Too much fun for me. Um, So I've, I've dealt with it a lot. I, apparently my grandfather was an alcoholic and he got better. I never really saw it, but I do think those habits get implemented on your parents. Like I do think my dad, because he did have to deal with it, has dealt with the repercussions. And I think in some ways, that's one of the reasons I'm attracted to people with addictions is because it's kind of weirdly in my family, my dad dealt with it. And even though my dad doesn't drink and my mom isn't really a big drinker, it's somehow like the term is like a dry drunk. Like you still have the habits of an alcoholic while not participating in, um, the, the bad situation. So you could be angry like an alcoholic, but not be drinking too much. And I so just, I just picture us out and me on my third glass of wine I just ordered and you're just going, God damn it. <laughs> like, you're realizing like, <laughs> this is just part of your pattern. It's and like it, being friends with me. Well, but it is, a, a, I am attracted to people that have addictions and or attracted to people that had parents that had addictions. That is just true. Like I have a lot of friends that either their parents were alcoholics. Yeah. But isn't that most people? No, I think we feel that way because we are, you're that person. Like, yes, addiction is prevalent, especially in the United States. Yes. Everybody has their bad situations, but I think in, it's the same way that I go, there's no real happy people. That's insane. And then you meet somebody and you go, oh, they're just not in my circle. I'm not attracted. <laughs> I'm not attracted to happy people. I'm attracted to ad- to addicts. I'm attracted to people that had rough upbringings and, and mental illness. Like I have my own mental problems. I have my own addictions. And I like other people that have a nice variety of that too. That's just what I'm attracted to. And that's because of upbringing. So I also think we have a very closed off circle of similar people. And it's hard for us to see the other side. I'm not saying other people don't have habits. I'm not saying that everybody has their situations where they've had 
addictions in their lives or whatever, like people are complex, blah, blah, blah. Don't you think that most people have some sort of addiction though? In this society? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think weirdly enough, I think people that had harder childhoods in other countries don't nearly have the same addictions that our privileged American society does. And then also, also we have such an evil pharmaceutical company, pharmaceuticals and the way our health care works that we've literally like addicted half our population. Oh, when I first came to England and I was, I think I was just talking about like um, Adderall and just other pills as if it was nothing. And then I remember being on Primrose Hill with a bunch of people and they were just like, wait, what? So <laughs> you guys just take these pills? It's <laughs> like, yeah, you don't take pills? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like I don't, like I've never been a pill person. Yeah. Except for like, I've taken Adderall a few times. But other than that, I'm terrified of pills. But like just speaking about pills and, and you know, saying like, oh, so-and-so popped a Xanax and took the flight here. Like, I don't know. You just kind of talk about it casually. And they were sort of stunned that it was just a part of my life like that. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's I think Americans are easily prescribed stuff. Our solutions, we, we treat symptoms with medication. We don't treat underlying sy- symptoms. Zero conversation about preventative measures. In that case, I think my back hurts, take a pill. I'm sad, take a pill. Things aren't working out, take a pill. I, I, I just think that's become a part of our philosophy and nature because of capitalism, pharmaceutical companies, and just the way things are set up here, that it isn't the same in other countries. And so in some ways, I do think we're being friends with Americans means you're more likely to have friends that are addicts or know an addict. I feel like other countries are happier because they're closer to their family. If I'm honest, like, because I think American culture, it's just like you, you go to college far away or you take a job far away, you move away from your family. But like in Egypt, my parents, like the, everybody's in the same building. If you wanted to go hang out with your cousins, you just go three floors up to their apartment and you're just all together all the time. And that I think creates happiness and there's tons of books that actually agree with you. So basically what you're saying is community and connection. And they actually, so that kind of almost leads into like the book that makes me know anything about addiction. Dr. Gabe Monte, I think it's M-A-T-E. He wrote a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, and it's all about addiction. And he basically says, usually for the most part, something in your childhood triggered the fact that you're going to be addicted. It could be abuse. It could be sexual assault. It could be neglect. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It could be some kind of traumatic thing. He starts with extreme to kind of show other things. Like you don't have to be sexually assaulted to have an addiction. That's not kind of where I'm going. But he's saying a lot of really bad addictions often can stem from some kind of traumatic moment when they were younger, where they didn't feel safe, where they didn't have the skills to express themselves, what have you. But there's also other examples of where addiction kind of comes from. But a lot of stuff does stem in childhood. Also, the ability to express yourself, to feel heard, to um, feel connected with people is stemmed from having a larger family, not just kids, but like in the sense that, like you said, you, you could talk to your cousins, you, you have connection to your aunts and uncles, your grandmother and grandfather are nearby. But then also your parents are going to be less stressed out and, and prone to addiction because oh. they have a support system. Right. right. Okay. So maybe I'm somebody that doesn't have a lot of money. I have to work 60 hours. Grandma is going to take you. I'm not spending extra money for them or my kids aren't alone while I'm at work doing God knows what they're going to get into. You also have a more secure version of who you are as a person. Cause like, that's the other thing is you get influenced by people. So if I'm 15 and somebody's like, Hey, do you want to do heroin? If I have a bunch of cousins and people close to me and my friends, my parents, friends, family, whatever it is, and they don't do drugs and they don't feel the need to do it. I'm more likely to be like, no man, I'm not going to do heroin. 
as opposed to, I have nobody to talk to about this. These are my only friends. They're doing heroin. Why would I not try heroin? And that's a very simplistic way of saying it, but it really is like having a community, have people you can talk to, feeling loved. I mean, everything from this book is about love. People that grow up with love, people that grow up feeling love, people that are loved the way you're supposed to be loved, most of them don't fall into addiction. So everything you're saying is, I think, 100% correct. But it's because the way Americans are set up, we do pull away, da, 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 da. I still think you can have that community, even if it's not a family community. I think parents that have close friends and have people they associate make them healthier. I think if a bunch of people like having some kind of community, whether it's a playground that everybody goes to, kids that grow up with each other, people that have more resources, of course, always kind of in some ways are able to grow up with more of a community because, okay, we all go to this country club or we all go to this summer camp. These are things that cost money and that kids are able to build up community that way. But the, the freest, most simplest form of community is family. Okay. So where would someone get family? (laughs) Where do you get a family? So I think, I think the best thing you can do for yourself. Okay. You are where you are. You can't fix it. You live in London away from your family. I travel. I don't see my family that much. Um, I make my own family. I mean, I've, I've considered you my sister for the last 15 years. I mean, you, you have family status. Um, a lot of my girlfriends and close guy friends have family status. Um, I'm very close. I'm one of five kids, so I naturally have a big family, but you know, I would say my little brother is 24 and he does whatever he does. I love him. I'll do anything for him, but he's not somebody I like call up and be like, I'm sad. He'll be like, why are you (laughs) calling me? Um, (laughs) Honestly, he'd be like, who is this? I'm very fortunate that even when I felt like I didn't have friends and I felt ostracized, I have my siblings, but I've also made friends siblings. I've made a you, I've made an Adrian, I've made a Carmen where I, I feel there are no boundaries. And I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do. I mean, that's taken years of trust building and stuff like that. But I've read somewhere that the the opposite of addiction is community or, or not that I, I take that back. The opposite of unhappiness isn't happiness, it's community. But do you think you can find that in like Facebook groups? Or do you know what I mean? Like, I think, online? It, can, I think it can start there. So a good example is, you know, we talked about your misophonia, the first episode, you you had this thing where like you felt irrational responses to, to sounds, it made you kind of feel like there was something wrong with you. And then you found out you had misophonia and then you started to deep dive in it. You find out that you're not the only person with it. You find other groups of people dealing with it. And next thing you know, you feel, you don't feel alone. I'm not saying this misophonia group has to be your best friend, but all of a sudden you feel like there, here's a group of people that get me. And that little nugget of feeling is how you start becoming close with people. I think a real addiction starts with I'm alone and nobody gets me and, or I can't share this with somebody or nobody would understand this feeling. So that's where therapy comes in. That's where friendship comes in. That's where community comes in. So I think if you're somebody that feels alone, feels like they have this deep, dark secret, feels like whatever it is, something that they can't share with others and they're covering it up with addiction. If you're able to find a group that goes, oh, I've experienced that too, or I've worried about that too. Here's a nugget of acceptance. And yeah, 
it could, it could blossom and you become friends with this person. And now you have this online friend that might be a real friendship or what have you, or it could be the first time you feel accepted, which opens you up to feeling more open to talk about other stuff with other people here. I'm what less was that Maria Bamford joke, like take the thing that you're most ashamed of. And, and somebody's already written, not only written a book, but is on a book tour. Yes. <laughs> yes. <it>. yes. <laughs> so I do think it can, I do think any kind of group can can make you feel connected and feel less alone. All right, guys, that's uh, that's your invitation to join the two non-doctors community. Yeah, come talk <laughs> to us. I mean, that's actually one of the things I do like about what we do is we answer people's emails. We talk about stuff in a way that makes people feel like they're not the only one. Like I've noticed that because I did a talk about dyslexia online and people have found me a lot through that, that they go no one's ever explained it like that, or nobody's ever shown me that you could talk about it like this. And I think that's kind of what I like about what we do with the podcast is we do openly talk about our issues, or we do openly talk about situations we've been in. And we do we and we also go, I don't know, like, this is what I found out, but I don't know. And I'm open to finding out what like, this to me is a community. Okay, this is how I've dealt with my depression. Here's somebody in bumblefuck wherever going, this is how I've dealt with it. And it makes me feel good that other people are trying this too, or other people have struggled with it and used X, Y, and Z to feel better. I think that's Mm. a form of community. I don't think it should be your only form. I, I, I would never encourage people to be like, we are your end all of information and community. (laughs) First of all, it's too much pressure on us. And secondly, everything should be a stepping block to real connection. And I think real connection is friendship, family, get togethers. I think that's what was really difficult about quarantine. You you can still have connection, but it's a limited form of connection. And I think we as humans need physical connection in the sense that we meet up with people, we see people, we laugh with people, we hug people. I think that's really powerful. If you want to talk to us about your community or if you want to ask us a few questions and we can answer. You see how smart Liz is. <laughs> She'll answer shit. I've read books. Um, just uh, email us at two non-doctors at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter uh, at two non-doctors, Instagram at two non-doctors DRS. Please subscribe. If you're enjoying what we're doing, subscribing is a big help for us. If you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, rating and review us is a free thing you can do that would make a huge difference for us. And then uh, we have a Patreon. We like to give out uh, episodes early bonus episodes we would love like if you want to kind of give us questions um ask googles have a little bit of input in what we talk about uh, that's a a a tier on our patreon patreon.com backslash two non-doctors guys thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week Bye. bye we would be the best bad psychics